Our dog had surgery, so she has a big fan around her head that she's not enjoying too much. So we're afraid to leave her in the house, lest she who knows what. So I just left her in the car finally, and maybe even worse. <clears throat> Pastor and Sister Glover ministering in Palmer today, and then they'll be in Anchorage until Minister's Retreat starts, which is Wednesday night. Of course, Pastor Glover does the business meetings Tuesday. I don't know if they do something on Monday also. But it's always a busy time for them and uh, a great time for them to be able to see old friends and fellowship and enjoy themselves. So very thankful that they're able to minister to Palmer. And uh, I know a little bit about what he's going to be preaching about. So I believe it's going to be a very powerful, if he hasn't already done it, message. And uh, it's going to bless Palmer greatly. <clears throat> There's so many, so many ways I want uh, that I've been thinking of going. First Corinthians, First Corinthians twelve, maybe. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, we need to remember that uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, in 4, 5, and 6 says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Christ or Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, seven, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in, in, in what we call chapter 12, he's not giving an exhaustive list by any means of what you'll notice there in verse 1. It's not gifts or in italics because it's not even, he says, now concerning spirituals or spiritual. And so he's, he's been addressing many things here because he's got a church that is very proud of the amount of grace that they have and the amount of... Uh, the, uh, how much space they're willing to show somebody in their church and they take it as a badge of honor that they can have a moving of God and allow someone to come to church that's sleeping with his dad's, mom, with his dad's wife. And so he's starting off with a, a big mess. There's all kinds of divisions. And so I'm a Paul. This doesn't happen today at all. I'm a Paul. I'm a Cephas, Peter. I'm of Apollos. Or today we'd say something like, I'm a Billy Cole. I'm a T.W. Barnes. I'm a verbal being. So he's dealing with divisions, and, uh, and so he starts right off there talking about um, the fact that were you baptized uh, into the name of Paul or into Cephas? Is Christ divided? And he's just dealing with a bunch of junk. <clears throat> and so when we're talking here in the 1 Corinthians 12, he's not teaching them necessarily about these uh, what ends up being called spiritual gifts but he is uh, with the deeper fullness of where he's going with this entire letter he is he's, he's lining out what it is and then he's showing how it works and operates and and how it should uh, be governed with the with the uh, government of God which is first Corinthians 12 28 and it's very important to have that in place before we start worrying about the gifts of the Spirit because that's where chaos ensues is when we push after spirituals and do not have anyone that is telling us whether we're doing it right or whether we're of the wrong spirit or whether it's not of God or whether... So that's very important in this day and age and it, uh, it's being talked about now, the importance of apostles, prophets. It hasn't been defined at all by the UPCI. And uh, we need to get there. We need to define what we think an apostle is now and what they're going to do as far as the government of God. It shouldn't be that hard. I could tell them with that. It's uh, biblical. And uh, maybe who we call bishops, oftentimes maybe we should rechange that for America and say it's, uh, that's a, the office of an apostle in government, 
Bishop Wright is definitely an apostle because he has many, many, many pastors underneath him, and he's pastoring them as well as teaching because that's what defines you as an apostle. We like to go to the signs and wonders part, but, you know, with patience also, we never mentioned that part when, uh, in that scripture. But the gifts here were much bigger than what we might look at. And I don't want us to put anything in a box. And we do. We define what each one means, except Paul didn't. In fact, Paul says in verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts, plural, but the same spirit, and diversities, plural, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God, which worketh all in all, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit the body with all. And so then Paul goes, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. And we define that as, as giving somebody a word. And Paul defined it pretty well in uh, let's see, Ephesians 3. In verse 2, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me, you word, how that by revelation, he, talking about God, made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words. In the verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Seven, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So God gave that to him. I like the fact that God has a name. And so in Galatians 1.11, he says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this entire New Testament... Every book that Paul wrote is a word of wisdom. It was gifted to him by God, by his grace. As Paul, or as Peter says, 2 Peter 3.15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. And so we see where maybe we can... Uh, Put limits on something that is unlimited. And I'll argue that with anybody that wants to argue with me because it means exactly that in the Greek even. So I'm not sure where we get our definitions of what these mean. Solomon was given wisdom. Did he ask for it? In a dream he did. David prayed that he'd have it. God, what happens when someone gives you something? It's gifted to you. The definition of a gift, it's handed to you. And so when we look in the Old Testament, for examples, Solomon was given the wisdom of God. So Proverbs would be a decent word of wisdom. He astounded everybody that came to meet with him and ask him questions, and it was to give God glory. And it, and it was to magnify the God of Israel. And so you have that. So you got word of wisdom, how we define it. Got word of wisdom that the apostles, everything they spoke in that day and age was revelation. Miracles, signs, and wonders come when you're speaking pure revelation that God's given you to a group of people, and they're hearing it for the first time, and God's going to confirm his word that's spoken with signs following. Every time they spoke, it was revelation. You want a word of knowledge? They're giving you a deeper insight. That's why the apostles said, we're not going to wait on tables. We're going to study, we're going to read the word, we're going to, we're going to teach the word, and we're going to pray. So another example in the Old Testament, because if we use the Old Testament for an example, who, who did all this stuff in the wilderness? What was his name? Beziel? He was given the spirit of wisdom, and so overnight he becomes an apothecary. He becomes like a perfume, per, like a perfume person, a jeweler, 
making all the breastplate, the best seamstress in the world. He can make all this beautiful thread, all this beautiful garb, everything that is in the tabernacle. Beziel, who gives, has the spirit of wisdom from God, is able to make that with a few other people that were given the spirit of wisdom from God. It's important that we get to just a, a quick understanding of this because Second Thessalonians talks about somebody else coming and he's going to be powerful with, with working in miracles. The same power that's mentioned in here with miracles, it's actually the, the operations of powers. He's going to be able to do that, and that, that we know is. And so if we're, if we're quick to follow things that aren't even gifts of the Spirit working or operating, we're going to be quick to be deceived, lest God comes for us quickly. For example, when Brother Mochus was ministering here on Sunday, he was ministering like he would minister to somebody in the altar one-on-one, -on -one, but he was doing it via the microphone, and one by one, he was going down and ministering. And when I'm, when I'm ministering with somebody in the altar, I'm following the leading of the Holy Ghost, and if I feel something in my spirit like they're not telling me what exactly is wrong, I'm going to start asking them questions. And I'm going to start, and then following how, what my spirit's telling me to see if I can, and I start going deeper and deeper, and that's just following the leading of the Holy Ghost. But for us to define something like that as the gifts of spirit working is, is not true. We did, though, didn't we? How do you work with somebody in the altars? When, I, when I'm doing that, that's, I'm, do, I'm doing ex close to what Brother Mochus did as he's using his very funny humor. To me, it was very funny to make you comfortable, which makes you open up as he's, as he's lots of faith. So he's going to continue trekking to see if you're, you've been healed and he's going to do it again and again. And it built, built up and built up to all of a sudden three people got the Holy Ghost like that. Bam, bam, bam. Where do you think the purpose of God was there? That whole thing or was it for the three people to receive the Holy Ghost? There's a reason it hadn't happened before that. I don't want to get nasty, but I can. You know, Pastor Glover, where, he, where he's come from, I was, I was talking with my, my parents about this, and I was a little irritated maybe, and uh, they said, you have to remember where we come from. And so they came in a Bible school where if, if Misha started to play the piano during a, a prayer service, she would get shut down. Because there had just been, what, wildfire, you'd call it, or the latter rain movement. And so they were, the Pentecostal movement was death, death afraid of any kind of gifts of the spirit operating. And so for Pastor Glover, I've been to, you know, numerous churches. Uh, the, uh, those gifts of uh, tongues interpretation happen here way more than they happen anywhere, trust me. And so Pastor Glover's really grown in, in that and, and uh, takes it very seriously. But we need to understand here that, uh, well, look at Acts 19. We, we also are, I don't want anybody here that's new to think that you can't automatically begin operating in the gifts of the Spirit. We like to make it to where there's this huge journey, got to climb up this mountain. There's a dude with a beard sitting in a Indian style waiting for you to come and if you make it to him, then he's going to give you that secret formula for you to work in the gifts of the Spirit. When we're saying gifts, when you received the gifts, when you received the Holy Ghost, and it's just a matter of allowing them to operate, so you're accessing them by faith. Everything in, this, in the spirituals is accessed by faith and the leading of the Holy Ghost, but it's going to be, there's going to be a moment and you'll feel it, and it's a matter of you acting upon it and stepping out in faith. Amelia? With the tongues interpretation, when Jude was here, she was feeling it, and she stepped into it. And then she was very surprised about how, you know, easy it was compared to how we might make it, frame it as like it's a big deal. It is a big deal, but it's not a big deal to do. We, we respect the gifts of the Spirit. 
we respect the working of God, but we can't define what it is, and we can't, we can't resist what God's trying to do through us. We've got to allow the moving of the Spirit to move through us and not, not be afraid to step out. So I want you to know, like Acts 19, he's talking to some people that were of John the Baptist, and they had been baptized by John the Baptist, and they had zero idea about what the Holy Ghost was. They'd never heard whether there be one. And, and Paul asked them whether they were baptized, and they said, John's baptism. So then he baptized them, baptizes them in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he lays his hands on them. The Holy Ghost came on them. And so the, the, what's the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost? And they spake with tongues and prophesied. That's how hard it is to start operating the gifts of the Spirit. You don't have to fast 40 days. You don't have to have a whip and beat yourself every night before you go to bed. You don't have to do all the things that we like to make it seem like you have to do. The gifts of the Spirit are there to edify the body and yet for us to grow in them. And it's for get, to get us excited about what God's doing in us. If, if you never experience God working through you, how can you be excited about your experience with God? If you're never allowed to grow in it, how can you ever be excited about, this is a real thing, except I'm not allowed to do anything. And that's my generation for sure. My generation is, has largely gone and not in church at this moment. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure why, but we've lost a generation America's losing their churches, but we've lost a generation of apostolics, and I really do believe if, if we get Amelia's doing tongues interpretation and growing through that and, and growing in the spirit, then it's going to be pretty easy for people to get connected to God instead of a bunch of rules and no, and no freedom in the spirit. A bunch of rules you don't even understand why you're having to do them, but you don't have any growing in relationship with this real God that you have access through in the spirit that's unlimited. You can go as deep as you want. It's unsearchable. And you can, you can get into that river and just flow. And you, you can get to know God better than anybody. You can know God closer than any pastor that ever comes up here, any, any minister, five-fold minister. You have the ability to know God more than they do because it is for whoever will. It's about hunger. It's about your priorities. Right, Matt? So I want everyone, I, I know you do, but I want you to know that God's, God sets up offices, but he, he, there's, there's no hierarchy there. God works through the offices, but we're all children of God. And so it's God's will that you guys all, all are growing in the moving of the Spirit and the leading of the Spirit. And it's really that simple, even with your growth. Even with your growth, God's going to get, you're doing, you get saved, you get baptized, name of Jesus Christ, you receive gift of his spirit, and you're growing in it, you're smoking, you're drinking, pretty soon God's going to put it on your heart that it's time to stop smoking. And so then they, that's when you stop smoking, because God's given you the ability to stop smoking, and so then you're going, you're growing, you're growing, pretty soon here it comes, he doesn't want you drinking anymore. But right when you get the Holy Ghost, you're not expected to just go home and drop everything, ba 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 Throw everything away. I'm never doing it again. I'm just going to suck it up and, and go cold turkey. Now, just if we, would, if we would make this a little bit easier, it's really just you're allowing the Spirit to tell you what to do, and then you do it. And you don't do anything unless the Spirit's telling you to do it. That's part of being led by the Holy Ghost. I know for a fact that it started even with, uh, with movies, even. I would, initially, I was watching whatever, and then... Eventually, I start feeling convicted about movies, so then I'm just watching TV shows, the series, and pretty soon I'm getting convicted about that, and now I pretty much don't watch, well, I watch documentaries, but it, was, it wasn't like everything all at once, it was a little bit, a bit of a process. And it's just allowing the Holy Ghost to tell you when, and then just obeying it. And it's simple as that. It's not meant to be something that's very hard, and very, very, like, dreary kind of a thing, and there is no joy in this, and... And uh, I felt a whole lot better high than I feel right now. And I have, like, I can't, now I don't have any drugs, but I have the same issues. No, God wants to uh, 
work those out of you, and he wants to one by one take them from you. Since he is a eternal, he literally will step back into time and take that out of your spirit like it never even happened to you. I can vouch for it. And he does it one by one. When you're praying, you're praying to the Holy Ghost with him in, in, in your secret place, and all of a sudden here comes a memory. And you don't avoid the memory. You, you got to suck it up, I've learned, and you got you to gotta allow those emotions to come right back. And you got to kind of relive it for a moment, but you're giving it to God, and God takes it from you, and you never have to take it back. And you're free from it. God wants to do that one by one, and he literally steps out of time, reaches back there, and fixes it like it never happened. That's the God we serve. We don't serve a God that's not wanting to be involved in every one of our lives in every little circumstance and issue. And that goes with discipline, too. When he's disciplining you, you, gotta, you accept it, receive it. You still talk to him. He's told me exactly what was going to happen because I did something. And then when it happened, it was like, wow, this, this, I really serve a real God. I mean, he proves himself, whether he's disciplining you or whether he's blessing you, whether he's talking to you, he's continually revealing aspects of himself to you. And I'm, when I'm saying that, I mean prayer and the Holy Ghost on your own. And, uh, and then <clears throat> when we're all together also, but the importance of you having your own personal prayer time and your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ is, that's, that's the foundation. That's, that's, the, that's the rock that God will, will prove himself to you, teach you how he speaks to you, not like how somebody else says, but how he's going to show you. He'll teach you how to pray the way you pray. He'll teach you how to, how, how to operate whatever aspect of the moving of the Spirit that he wants you to do. And he, one by one, is literally your father that is willing to prove to himself to you that he is a father that will never leave you nor forsake you. He will erase any memory of your, of your earthly father. Because we've had many, many people come in with father issues. Or you had terrible fathers. And God will prove himself to you to be a father that loves you. Believe, and he'll speak into your life. You see yourself as one thing. He sees yourself, you as how he destined before eternity, in eternity, how he destined for you to be. And he's just wanting to bring you here. Step by step by step. And it's not something that you can't do. He will never make it so hard that you can't do it. If he gives you something to do and, and impresses you in your spirit, that means you can do it. And, if you, and I've had some times where I've had an open door. If you stop this right now, I, will, I, will, I was chewing when I, in the military. If you stop this right now, I will, I will take, you won't have any withdrawals, you won't have any issues, and I just wasn't ready at that point. And so it was like an open door that I didn't step into, but he, didn't, he, didn't he wasn't disappointed in me. He just given me like this offer, and now, we're, now I'm walking it out. He does all kinds of things like that. And he's real, he's more real than everyone you see right here. That's how he wants to be to you in prayer. And so the gift of wisdom for Paul was understanding this mystery, which is the plan of God and the mystery really was that Gentiles and Jews were all going to become one in this one new creation, not human, one new creation, Jesus Christ. And that was the mystery he was given, and he was given everything he writes to us here in the, in the books are all gifts given him that he shares with us. He'll do that with you. When you're studying this, ask him to give you the gift of wisdom to understand these mysteries and to see them. Ask him to give you the gift of knowledge to understand deeper, deeper aspects of this mystery. Do you think with Ephesians 3 when he says all the generations before me weren't able to see this because it wasn't in God's timing or his plan, but now he has revealed it to us. He unsealed it. Do you not think that there's something that God's wanted to unseal in 2023 after thousands and thousands of years? Or was all revelation given right there? 
Daniel sealed some things up. Who else sealed things up? I know Habakkuk wrote some things down. There's some things that have been, were spoken there in the Old Testament even that haven't been unsealed. <clears throat> but if we think a word of wisdom is just a, hey, Donna, I, th I believe that God wants you to do this and this. We're really limiting God, aren't we? Read, you need to read Exodus and read what that guy could do. All the talent he had and ability to cover, to cover everything with gold and just the, all the designs to the T of what Moses, who had also the gift of wisdom to recite everything word for word what God gave him, to be able to make that. Because I think of them a bunch of ignorant, like, you know, camel herder type of people. And here they are with this high technology able to do all this, uh, all this work, beautiful work that's covered in gold or brass, silver, and able to make it exactly to the special gold thread. And he got it because of spirit gave him. Same with Joshua. Same with Moses. Everybody that we look up to, that's just one. That's just one. You say the word of wisdom, okay. So the apostles and prophets were operating in that gifting all the time, and it was called the gospel. Because it had never been, I mean, follow Peter's story. When he, when he goes to Cornelius' house afterwards, the Jews don't think it's a great thing, do they? So this was a, a powerful revelation. Word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, the, the gifts of cures. Is how the original says it. The gifts of cures. How many things could be cured for whatever reason, I can't say it right. Or I don't feel like I can. <laughs> I'm not going to try to say it again either. <laughs> but having that ability, when he says, like, let there be no schism in the body. Is there something for that? Or having, having supernatural knowledge on how to, how, to, how to get rid of this ailment or, or this. He, those, those, are, those are processes and those are ability to walk someone through healing. It's not a miraculous one and done thing. So that's that, and it's uh, gifts of cures. You can't, you can't quantify gifts of cures or gifts of healings. To another, the, uh, like I said, operations of powers or the workings of miracles, all those are pl plural. Prophecy, discerning of spirits, and this is a, the, the, the two that we operate the most in here at this church, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. But who believes that's it? That's all the gifts of the Spirit right there. He gave us an exhaustive list. And he didn't, Paul did not define one single thing here. In fact, diversities, operations, all of those are only used here. So he, he, it's never written anywhere else in the Bible so, you could, so we could define it some other way. The only thing that's outside of 1 Corinthians 12 is miracles. Everything else is contained within 1 Corinthians 12 for you to define it. And there is no definition. But we've had it defined for us. And so when it's defined for us, we put it in this little box and we label it. And it's that. And then we define it in this box, the who can do it. And we define it in this box how, when, how's appropriate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so then we grew up in an apostolic church that is just now getting to the point of talking about what apostles are besides what they were in the New Testament, what prophets are. This is the government of God, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Teachers, what are they? We've got helps, what are they? We've got to establish that. And we've got to... <laughs> That's our safety right there. That's our safety net here as an APSOC movement. But in this church, it's different. It's complicated to say that way, but we have a pastor who's open to this and wants us to grow in, in our understanding. And pastor is such a loving man. <clears throat> 
You know, he, you know, he's woken up every single night. He prays for an hour and a half or two hours at four in the morning for us every single night. He says he tries to, tries to go back to sleep, hoping he can, but he said, Mike, it's every night about four in the morning, God wakes me up with a burden for somebody in the church, and I just, I just start weeping. By the way, intercessory prayer is a gift. People that have that ability, that's a gift. God's given it to you, the sensitivity and the, and the ability to access that level and that um, place of vulnerability, that's a gift. That's the, pre, the, high, the, the high priest office there, interceding on behalf of the people. And uh, when, when God called Aaron, he said, I want you to separate Aaron to minister to me, to be the high priest for me. And so when you're in the office of a intercessor, It's a pretty close place to be. You're, he's, he's calling you to him, minister. It's a powerful thing. <clears throat> but you know, none of this is accessed through human wisdom. And none of it's understood by human wisdom. I want you to think about the danger of that. The danger of us giving a human definition to something that's spiritual. He said he was gonna he was gonna like destroy the wisdom of the wise. That was Isaiah twenty nine fourteen, because of twenty nine thirteen, which he quoted to the Pharisees, saying, "You take traditions of men, and you made them the doctrines of God." Or roughly, it says that. And so that's when he says, "I will destroy the wisdom of the wise." He's, this is First Corinthians one nineteen. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And he did it by robing himself in flesh. And Paul goes on to say here that if the princes of this world had knew, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. That's 1 Corinthians 2.8. So he's going on this long journey, and he's, he's talking about wisdom and he's saying Jesus Christ was made wisdom for us. He's, that's Proverbs 8. He, like, that's Jesus Christ talking to you. And, he, and he's going into a wisdom that's not of this world. And so he says, I do speak wisdom. That's 1 Corinthians 2, 6. But I speak it among, among people who are perfect or who are mature, not children. And the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Then he goes, I hath not seen, ear not heard. He's quoting again, 64, 4 of Isaiah. Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. Turn to John 16. When, when, when Paul's talking through that right there, he is describing exactly what, God, what Jesus, the Son of Man, was talking about. In uh, John 16, and I'll say 12. He, initially, he says in verse 7, if I don't go away, the comforter is not going to come. And so he's talking about the Holy Ghost, the advocate. Verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, the spirit of Jesus Christ, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. That's 1 Corinthians 2. He's beginning to talk about how the spirit, no man knoweth a man but the spirit of that man. And so since we have that spirit, that spirit searches out the mysteries and gives us, gives us more insight that's never been revealed. And what, it, what it's being told by Jesus Christ is given to us. That's, that's, that's the little poetic thing he said. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So it's the spirit of God that's given us revelation about what Jesus Christ is wanting to reveal to us. Because it's a continual thing. He said he would continually 
reveal himself to us. He would show up in the congregation, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, do we believe all truth? Do we believe that we've been led into all truth? I don't believe we've been led into all truth or revelation. We've been led into the foundational truth. But if he's talking like this to them and Paul receives everything about this new man in Christ Jesus and uh, the Gentiles and the Jews, who are we to think that God has not, more, has not more to reveal to us? And I say that, asking you, give me a revelation that you have not received from the pulpit about Jesus Christ in the Bible. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. This is freely given to us. That's what verse 12 says. The spirit that we might know the things that are freely given to us. Gifts. That we might know everything, grace, everything that we receive from God is given. But it's only through this aspect of the spirit. And the spirit is operating not when you're just sitting there. But when you're active, most of the time it's operating when you're going to be praying in the Holy Ghost, but then you can have that, you can get that, your heart on God and have that revelation coming as you're meditating on him all day long on the word on, and on something that you just has stood out to you in the Bible and you see something there or you know something's there, but you haven't seen it yet. So you just are thinking about it and asking God about it and asking God about it. And finally he gives you a download of what, of, of more revelation and understanding. There's not one reason why anyone here can't have unreal revelation of Jesus Christ because he wants to reveal himself to us by his spirit. That's why Paul could do, you know, morning to night about, with the Old Testament teaching about Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Anyways, Luke, Luke 20, 34, 35, 36, he's, Jesus is being challenged. Ask yourself, don't answer please, if Jesus, the Son of Man, was your Messiah. The answer is no, unless you're Jewish. And the answer is he never will be your Messiah unless you were Jewish. Because he only came to the lost house of Israel. That's why he came in the flesh. And they rejected him, and so he's turned to us. But he turned to us as Savior, Jesus Christ. But he, he wasn't our prophe prophesied Messiah. That's the Jews. And that's probably why you struggle with understanding what the, old t what the Gospels are saying, because it really wasn't given to us. It was really for the Jewish people. And so it's very important that we start with Jesus Christ. And he is a life-giving spirit. Jesus was the last Adam. He killed that sin forever in his body. That body's gone. Now he's a life-giving spirit. Colossians 2.9, only time it's ever used. The full state of being God dwells in that spiritual body, metaphorically is what it is. Not the human body. Look it up. Spiritual body. That's where we start. But they're asking him about, you know, a lady has a baby or ha gets married, doesn't have a kid, goes, and they go down the line. And uh, verse 34, and Jesus answering said unto them, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God being the children of the resurrection. We are children of the resurrection. Remember in Luke 11 when uh, Lazarus is he's dead, he's talking to Martha, and he says that Lazarus is going to live again. She said, yeah, I know he'll live when, in the resurrection. And he looks at her. Oh, I don't know if you looked at her, but I'm sorry, John 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. For he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth, believeth in me shall never die. 
And then he goes, believest thou this? And she goes, I believe that you art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And he moved on. But you know where he got that was the, the chapter right before that. John 10, 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. To take it again, this commandment have I received of my Father. So he was speaking in the authority of his Father in chapter 11. So Jesus, is die, he dies, and his body, if it's going to be just like the sacrificial lamb's body for the, for the sin each year, or if it's going to be like the Passover, you have, to, you have to burn every bit of that body before morning. The dung, the hide, everything. You've got you to burn it. And so that physical body is gone. And we are now having access to a spiritual world and a spiritual body of Jesus Christ. Romans 1, 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He was born from death. Death became his womb. And that he took the sting of death away. The serpent in the wilderness. You guys remember that? They were, they were getting bitten by serpents, fiery serpents. And they would start to repent. Moses goes to God. God says, make and fashion a bronze serpent on a pole. Stick it up. And everybody that looks at it will, be, will live. And so what was biting them is what they looked at. And so when, when Jesus in John 3 was talking about as Moses lifted up the uh, serpent in the wilderness. I wish these pages turned faster. In verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he became sin. He became sin to heal our sin. He became sin to take away what Adam started in the garden. Just like the serpent, you look at the serpent that was biting you to get that serpent bite healed, he became sin. And so when we look upon him and recognize that he took our sin and took our punishment and has been judged righteous, we now have access through the mediation of Jesus' blood on the cross to the Father, which is through Jesus Christ. And it was because of the Jews rejecting him that this is even available to us. <clears throat> but there's something important, and I run up against this all the time, and I'm just talking. And it is uh, what we think we know, or how we've been taught. And... It literally, when, when uh, Jesus said, unless you receive the kingdom of God as a child, you're not going to have any part of it. He was talking to Jews that already had, they had all, they knew so much about the Messiah in the Old Testament, and he would just, Jesus was just not measuring up to what they were waiting for. I mean, all the way to Acts 1, they're going, are you ready to set up your kingdom now on earth? Because that's what they're waiting for was for him to establish his kingdom on earth, which he's going to do, you know, after all our, our generations done, the Gentiles. And he comes back, he sets up Jerusalem, blah, blah, blah. But they were thinking it's happening right then. And so he's just not measuring up. And that's what he says that about, unless you receive this as a child. And a child, I can, they don't even have to be able to read. And I can give them, what it takes to be saved, I can say, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And a child would say, Okay. They wouldn't go, Well, I don't know about that. That's not how I was told. 
not how I was raised. That's not what everything everything I've I've grown up in isn't like it doesn't look like doesn't look like that. And that's the unfortunate thing is unless we receive this as a child in faith, like we don't already think we know everything. then what's right in front of our eyes is not obeyed. And that's the problem with covenant is everyone, every male had to be circumcised. And starting with Moses, they started talking about we needed to have our hearts circumcised. And that's what baptism does. Because it's still a circumcision. It's just everybody is having their old man circumcised off. And it happens only through, not infilling of the Holy Ghost, it happens through baptism. And you're complete in him, this is Colossians uh, 2.10, in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. You being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And it's plain as day to where a child will understand that. But we, with our human wisdom, we want to argue it. Unfortunately, the Gospels don't have Jesus Christ. They have this Jesus who calls himself the Son of Man. And so, unfortunately, other beliefs don't really measure up to the word of God because the only declared son is Jesus Christ. An angel named Jesus twice, Zechariah 3, and then here in Matthew, and once again, he didn't come for us. He came for the Jews. He called, he called us dogs. You had to have some serious faith to get anything from him because he only came for Israel. And we have to be okay with that. The Gospels were not for us. We weren't invited to the party. They didn't think Peter should have gone into the house of Cornelius because it's unclean. We are unclean, dirty animals in the Gospels. Got to be okay with it because we have a Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's all one now, one new creation, not human. One new heavenly creation. And we're born from above. And it's the first Corinthians 12, 13. We gotta do two things, right? We gotta be baptized by one spirit into one spiritual body and made to drink, which is infilling of his spirit. But we butt up against that. And even us who've been uh in this relationship for a little while, we really need to ask ourselves, do I need to start coming to God as a child when I open this and saying, I really don't know, actually. And uh, could you show me what it's actually saying? That's, our, that's maybe one of the biggest stumbling blocks is we know, or I know. That's what this means. As soon as we do that, revelation stops. <clears throat> you know, I'm, we're all working on at least one person here this year. We have a key scripture, a key method, key person. And I was, uh, you know, we got the person I'm talking to and working on, we got, he opened right up to me. And uh, I'd, I'd asked him what he thought about salvation and, uh, you know, lake of fire, heaven, like what were, like have your beliefs changed or, you know, just curious to know. And he called me right immediately. As I sent the text, he called me. And he, and he began to talk to me about it very open with me, and turns out the reason he does believe everything 
that he was taught. It's just, I don't know how to say it. It's just the church that keeps him from coming back. It's us. We drove him away, and he has, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a wall that uh, obviously I'm believing God to uh, get, guide me through and et cetera, and obviously we're doing, you know, things outside of the church, but it's still the church to everybody. They still look at it as the church. And, uh, man, Matthew 18, verse 3, I'm going to say it one more time for you. Verily I say unto you, this is all red letter, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Here we go. But whoso shall offend or cause to stumble one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, that he was drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses cometh. Then he goes talking crazy. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off. Cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. I would say, starting now, that we all take heed to that their scripture about offending or causing someone to stumble, especially in this last day and age. You know, Paul talked about God used to wink at sin, but now he's calling everywhere, everyone to repent. I felt strongly that God said that this is, this is no longer going to be something that I, that I just let go but that the people that are coming in, and especially people that have been here before, God help us if we cause them to stumble. This church, I think we were up to almost 100, uh, like shortly after I was in high school or something here. And the amount of people that have left is pretty amazing. And I wonder if we would see them on the street and ask them, like I asked my friend, like, so what's the deal kind of a thing? I wonder what they would say. Why well, cut my hair? Because that's just the ultimate sin. Because we can't let somebody have a bad day and do something stupid. Or what? Like I imagine the things that we would hear would be all from the body. And stupid things that we've done because we're people. And they can't make their way back. Probably full of bitterness. It's probably become, you know, that huge, that huge thing that it becomes even when it starts out little. But most of it was small things. I guarantee it. Most of it was just like, hey man, you okay? Like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I got you. You can make it. God's already over it. He wants you to start here moving forward. You can do it. In the apostolic movement, it's amazing. We, we look at like uh, the Amish or well, even the, even the Orthodox Jews, the Hasidic Jews, they will, you know, if you become a secular, like you, so for example, if you join the army in Israel, they will basically act like you're dead. They'll have a funeral for you, actually, 
like a real, a real funeral and bury you like they're burying their son or daughter. And in the apostolic movement, we are very good at shunning people also. Very good at going in the store and you're unclean and I'm going to avoid you, even though I used to be your brother and sister. I used to be friends with you. I used to, I used to, but you left, so now, now we're not friends. Now I'm not even going to talk to you. Now I'm going to avoid you. John talks about little children in First uh, John, and uh, they're, they're little children who have been experienced a new birth experience. They're the ones that uh, are brand new babies, so, so called. And when we have long-term, uh, what we call backsliders come home, they're gonna start out as little babies because they have for, you know, mostly forgotten everything that they were doing or in, in, in this environment or what they, how they, the lifestyle they're living or if they even had it. Because like I said, we, we don't grow in this. We make it, we put it in boxes. So when they come back, they're going to be, they're going to be needed to, uh, we're going to grace and uh, a lot of grace and uh, who cares about some things? Who cares about some things when God's the one that's working in your spirit? And that's where ultimately the holiness comes from is when you and God make decisions, not peer pressure or not, you know, our own little uh, pamphlets that we have that say, we we'll give you two days to make that to make that right or whatever we need to get them excited about what God's doing in the spirit operating the gifts of the spirit operating in every aspect of of growth because that's what gets people to excited to stay not just to be apart and just sit there and not have anything happening in your life and then you're just, you're just white-knuckling it. And we do white-knuckling a lot. My dad's generation's tough. So they just white-knuckle it. Forget God delivering them. They just white-knuckle it. Well, this generation now, they're not. We're, the younger generation ain't going to make it by white-knuckling it. They're going to have to experience and grow in God because that, we're not as tough as that generation. We're not as tough as Mark. I can't grow a beard like him. We need to be growing in God and being delivered and, and becoming free or we're not going to make it. And that's what we got to assume with everybody coming in. No more white knuckling it. We need growth. And then we need the freedom for people to grow with God leading them. That's what, the, that's what a Sabbath is. Rest is just making the movements when God tells you to. When the Spirit leads you, you do it. Don't force it, because it's not works, it's the Spirit, and I want you in this rest, and so allow the Spirit to lead and guide you, and what it tells you to do, you do. And then you'll be joyful, and then you'll be growing, and then you'll be excited, and we can be excited for you. And it's a growth that continues, because we get offended, and we need to get deliverance from being offended. We look at all the new people that come in, we have many people that get hurt here in the church, and I'm not so sure we get free from that, so we have to, like, sometimes look inwardly. Do they need God more than me at this moment? Like, is this the message for the, the newcomer, or is it this message really for me because I need to be delivered from how much I can't stand Matt because he, because he uh, who knows what, he made some sly comment about my shirt, and, uh, and, and he looks at me hard. You know, the dumbest things, but it grows into something that will send you straight to the lake of fire. But newcomers, new people, this kingdom isn't meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if our new people aren't experiencing righteousness, which is God, that takes the pressure away. Not one of us can make, be righteous on our own. It's in his body that we're made righteous by his righteousness. Only one righteous son. If we're not in him, we're screwed, right? And so that righteousness takes the pressure off. That's what I've been talking about with the leading of the spirit. Then peace, joy. Sounds pretty good. Let's stand. Boy, was this positive and uplifting and...
And so we will work together to make space for moving God's spirit. But we're also going to understand that our pastor is ultimately responsible for, uh, for us. Because we're not his sheep. He's, he's the overseer. We're God's sheep. And so he has to answer to God. And so I don't want him to have to worry about stupid things about, you know, what I would call uh, fortune-telling or palm-reading or, uh, you know, things like that that we label gift of the Spirit and chasing after that. That's where ridiculousness and, and, and stupid will come. And so we got to help Pastor defend against that. I will. I am. So don't make me get out measuring tape, measure your freaking legs, Make sure they look, grew longer. Let's not get ridiculous. I mean, I can get a measuring tape. We can freaking do it. Okay. Rebecca. Rebecca.